Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Aaron's Spilling Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. How are you? Hey, good morning, Blake. How you doing? Happy Friday. Thank you. Happy Friday. Made it. We- well, um, we have a couple uh, bit, tidbits that we hadn't quite gotten to that are very, very interesting, including some court news. So, you know, there's a big case right now that um, is before the Court of Appeal where basically several prisoners or brothers who've been sent to the UK yes. are arguing that they should be able to come back and serve their sentence here in the Cayman Islands. Right. And so there's been a lot of interesting details that have been coming out, lots of tea <laughs> spilling in the um, Court of Appeal hearings. And one of the most interesting things that has come out is that one of them had a relationship with um, an employee at the prison. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about this before on this program about um, several relationships over the years that um, you know employees at the prison have had with inmates, um, particularly at Northwood Prison, the male prison. And in fact, there'd been um, relationships even with the um, psychologist and the psychiatrist. So I figure if they can break into a relationship with one of them, you know, anything's possible. But wow. yeah, so this is, yeah, this has come to light and um, it's just uh, very, very interesting because it's another reason why the authorities say that these men need to stay put because evidently the relationship continued despite them um, being, you know, overseas. <laughs> so quite amazing. Isn't it uh, the so- thought also as well that they're, they're pretty dangerous guys? Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the overarching um, argument is that th- these are, you know, gang members that um, are involved in, you know, at least a murder, if not more. And it seems like even though they were incarcerated here in the Cayman Islands, they still had a lot of power from behind prison and things are still going on on the streets as a result of them. And even now, when you talk to people in the streets, they say, mm, even though they're in the UK, they're still having access to phones or able to make phone calls and things are still happening. Mm. So um, so we'll see. We're definitely uh, keeping an eye um, on this situation. The governor's office, you know, was actually involved in this because this is an issue of national security. And, um, you know, they had to really make the case as to why, um, these two men have been sent overseas. So it's Osborne Douglas and his brother, Justin Ramon. So um, they also say that they were making uh, plans to have an armed jailbreak. Mm-hmm. In the UK? Here, in the Cayman Islands. Oh, that oh, was here. one of the, uh, yeah, that was the primary reason why they decided to to move them overseas. Wow. Yeah. Mm, that's pretty yeah. crazy. And did you uh, witness some of this stuff in court? Were you there? Um, off and on. We've been watching yeah. a couple of different trials. So, yes. Um, okay. Wow. Pretty interesting. Yeah. So, um, in other news, um, you know, everyone is sort of, of getting ready for the weekend, of course. And, um, oops, sorry, give me one second. Mm-hmm. So, there are. Um, Customs, my apologies. Customs has reported that they have uh, purchased a new fancy machine that's going to scan all of your goods. So this is interesting because we've seen Customs 
purchased this machine before <laughs> they purchased a machine before and then we heard nothing about it so there was this big several years ago there's this big to do about oh customs has um, a scanner that all the containers can now go into and you know it's going to increase security and then it kind of went like dark no one ever heard anything about it when you made increase it's like oh the machine is broken it doesn't fit the container the purpose-built you know um, facility that we have for it. there were so many kind of like you know talks around whatever happened to this machine so finally um customs has actually purchased it again um i think this time what they've done is they purchased it brand new whereas last time it was a second hand used hand me down they bought it on e they bought it on ek <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they, bought it, they bought it from the uk <laughs> not ek but the uk <laughs> uh so. well hopefully it makes the process go faster you know just clearing the containers it's well, uh i hope so because they're they're obviously looking for contraband and undeclared items um, that are coming into the country. So they say this is a high-tech cargo scanner now at the Freight Security Initiative location, which is off of Portland Road. You know what I saw recently over at the uh, the, the Port Authority is uh, some giant uh, van um, that, that was a it's a Mercedes branded mm -hmm. van, uh, and it's it's customs, and I have no idea what this thing. Is. It looks like a huge RV. So I don't know if it's some type of uh, scanner or X-ray uh, van or some sort of response vehicle, but it's it's definitely like customs. I think it's it said customs on it. So I, I have no idea what that thing is. Is that new? Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to find out. But that's writing in style for customs. Yeah, Mercedes <laughs> Mer or Mercedes RV. It's nice. It looked cool. Um, the CEO of a um, company has pled guilty to uh, gold smuggling $140 million uh, in what? gold bars. Yes, and Cayman was used as a transport point. Wow. Sue so Rodriguez Jr., 45 years old, um, was the former head of Trans Value, which basically provided um, transport services for precious metals and other valuables. Okay. So what he, he's uh, in Miami, it's an armored company, and essentially, um, armored car company, essentially what he was doing is getting uh, gold illegally from places like Venezuela. And uh, he was basically transporting it through the Cayman Islands to wash it, you know, money laundering, that's what we call it, where you want it to appear like it's coming from a legitimate source. Mm -hmm. So when he would, you know, when they would ship it here to the Cayman Islands uh, from either Venezuela or Curacao as, you know, the various points of transport, it would come here and sit in one of our facilities and i would be very curious to know which one hmm. um yeah because you know we have several facilities here that say they um they're storage facilities for precious metals and gold i think we have two on island to the best of my knowledge so it's, it'd be interesting to know which one of these might have been involved in this and uh, essentially um they would have it come through the cayman islands and then when it exited the cayman islands they pretended like the Cayman Islands was the point of origin. Yeah, because we have a lot of gold. I know this. This is exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, how did how did they fool anyone? How did customs get fooled by this? How did U.S. customs get fooled by this? I'm like, we don't mine gold here, so how could this right. possibly be the mm. point of origin? Right, but nonetheless, Cayman Islands is actually uh, made out of gold. Yeah, you know, the ground. That's what they um, yeah, maybe maybe they just stored it in one of those like uh, you know self storage uh, lockers or something somewhere. There's a, a lot of gold, 140 million. Well, over how many, over how long? Um, 
I'm trying to remember. It was uh, for gold is. By the way, gold is uh, it's expensive. Like you can, hundred forty million dollars. This probably isn't as as big as you think it is. Isn't it like a thousand dollars for an ounce? Um, I don't know, but uh, yeah, that that's what was happening <laughs> with that situation. So that was uh, quite interesting to hear the details of of yet again. Gold prices per ounce eighteen hundred bucks. So. There you go. Do we have to do some math there? That's one ounce, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, listen, Saxon Insurance is offering um, a $5,000 reward for anyone who can assist with um, helping them uh, identify any eyewitnesses that can come forward to help them with a case that happened back in 2019. It was a fatal accident. You might remember this, um, involving mm -hmm. a school bus and a motorcyclist. And the young man um, who died in that was Sean Newell, 35 years old. He was a Jamaican national living in the Cayman Islands. And so it happened in the vicinity of, um, it's on Shamrock Road, which runs the length of like the Eastern districts, Mimosa Drive um, in Savannah. So if anyone remembers that accident, um, you know, please come forward. There is a potential um, opportunity to get $5,000 for information leading to the identification of material witnesses in this uh, fatal incident between a school bus and a motorcyclist. So reach out to Saxon if you have any details. All right. Will do. Yeah, uh, nothing, like, nothing like a little reward to encourage you to do the right thing. By the way, you need 4,800 pounds of gold to be $140 million. That's still a lot of gold. 4,800 pounds? Yeah. That's about the yeah, it's maybe um, maybe the size of like two cars. There you go. So yeah, so you, need, you need like a two car garage. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's that's a lot of gold, right? Yes. So listen, yeah. congratulations to our young folks who were involved in the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. Um, you know, these young people every year participate in this. I think during um, Corona, the lockdown, they had a little bit of a break. But they're committed to um, the Duke of Edinburgh Award um, scheme, and they have now completed their bronze adventurous journey. Uh, 22 participants supervised by five unit leaders and members of the adventurous journey team. Um, and they do, it's all about getting into the outdoors. They do a hike. So they've done their hike along the Eastern Road path down in Frank Sound, the fire station. Uh, they go up into the Mastic Trail, which as you know, is kind of rugged terrain. Um, and you know, they research stuff like the banana orchid, the parrot, the silver thatch palm, which are some of our national symbols, as well as the blue iguana. And then they also um, had to do some research on the Cayman Islands national heroes. So congratulations to those um, young folks who have done a great job and they did a little bit of camping and yeah. So Very cool. absolutely fantastic. All righty. Oh, you look nice today, by the way. Oh, thank you. you I, I did a little something different with the outfit and my daughter's like, are you going somewhere fancy? <laughs> she yeah, notices yeah. everything. Or, or maybe that's a filter. I don't know. Maybe you're not actually wearing a necklace. Uh, and I, <laughs> I know, right? Is that a filter? You never know. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's all real. Same uh, filter as usual. So just a little. So I have something for you later. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. I have a new logo for Bobo 89. Oh, I have it already. Did are I you, not tell you? Are you sure you have it? Ta-da! Oh, okay. 
89.1 FM. Who gave, that, who gave that to you? I have my sources. It's CMR uh, after all. <laughs> all right. That's low res, by the way. I'll give you a high res one. Oh, yes. Please do. Yeah. Um, but yes, absolutely. Um, we're, we're excited okay. um, about this. And everywhere I go now, I have people asking me all about Bobo. And you know what is so funny? There was a lady yesterday. She sent me a message and she's like, I'm trying to ask Alexa to turn on Bobo. She's like, Alexa, 89.1. And it was giving her some other stations. So I had to inform her that it hasn't launched yet. Not quite. So that's a little detail that's kind of important. Soon yeah. come. Um, so stay tuned here, folks. Uh, you'll hear definitely uh, the launch date. But we're I think we're anticipating, let's say March the 1st, just to be on the safe side. All right. Well, have a good weekend. And we will catch up with you on Monday morning. Absolutely. Have a fantastic weekend. All right. See you later. All Bye-bye. All right, folks. That's 106. Yes, you guys saw the logo. Um, I might have another. Now that he says that's the low res, um, let me just have a quick look here. I might have a, a higher resolution of email. Um, you know, sometimes you get the um, like the PNG and the different fi file types. Let me see here. Um, I feel like I should have it though. So yes, we're getting, we're inching closer, closer and closer. Um, let me see where that email is. So I have, I think it's a size that was sent to me. Why it kind of looks like that. Um, the PNG is probably a little bit better. Let me have a look. Yes, um, so we are getting ready. Bobo is coming to an air, where, air station near you, the airways. Da, 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 da. Let's get this show started, folks. Good morning. You're now tuned in to the cold, hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea. Piping hot, so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via WhatsApp at 324-1612. Email tips at caymanmorrowroad.com. Now, here's your host, Sandy Hill, broadcasting live from the beautiful Cayman Islands. Good morning. Let me see. Is this one any better? Mm. I think he still could send me a better, higher resolution. All right. 
Send it along, send it along. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So, um, I'm having an apple for breakfast. Mm -hmm. All right, so let me make sure that I have sent everyone um, on WhatsApp the links. Sometimes I type them and then I forget to hit the send button. That's exactly what I did this morning. So let me just send this to everyone. Wake up, folks. It is Friday. Happy Friday. I know y'all love a Friday. To me, it's just another day of the week, really. <laughs> I don't put too much stock in Friday versus Monday versus, and I'm like, yeah, they're all days of the week. So listen, um, yesterday I was, I spent most of the day at home. Uh, we do have a special guest who's going to be joining us in the studio around eight o'clock as well. So we'll just chit chat until she gets here. But um, I spent most of the day yesterday at home. And um, I was clearing out papers. Now, how many of you, when was the last time you had a good clean out of everything in your house? You know, you go through all the drawers, you do the closet. I feel like you have to do different areas, you know? So you've got um, the, the closets, which are always like, oh gosh, what can you still fit into? Um, I don't really follow fashion in the sense of like, oh, well, this is last year's fashions. Like, I don't really care about that kind of stuff. I have some people who I know that do. And they're constantly worried at Chantel about um, what year this outfit is from. And I'm just like, who cares? Do you honestly think anybody in, in the Cayman Islands is going to know that that outfit was actually made in like 2019? Right, Lizette? Nobody cares about that kind of stuff. But, you know, they, they're high fashion people. I don't care. As long as it still fits and it looks decent, I guess, enough, um, I'm here for it. But, you know, sometimes some outfits need to be retired. I find that outfits can last a really long time. You know, there's a whole movement in the States now about um, not just throwing clothes away because we as consumers waste so much. I mean, we've got to do a better job, folks, um, in terms of, you know, the wastage of everything. And um, we... Um, can recycle in the sense that, you know, we can get it from other people or we can give it to other people and we can get from other people as well. So there's this whole movement now where there's a website, I forget what it's called, but I saw a commercial about it the other day where you can go on there and I guess buy and sell lightly used clothes. And I thought this is a fantastic idea because even some pieces that I've had a really long time, like sometimes you just don't wear them a lot. And so they're really in good condition. Listen, I have stuff in the closet that still has a tag on it. Let's be honest. And then you're like, oh, you know, you never find the right moment to wear it. And there's so many different excuses. Or you gain a few pounds and then it doesn't fit quite the way you want it. Or you lost weight and then it's too big or whatever. And so um, every once in a while, I try to go through my closet. Um, and, uh, you know, really try to... really try to um, 
you know, just clear stuff out. So yesterday I actually wasn't doing the closet. I was doing uh, the file cabinet. And so um, I have two separate file cabinet areas, uh, one personal and then one like work related stuff. So I was going through and man, talk about documents from like 25 years ago. You know, you've got all your important documents, university certificates, and it's a, it's a little bit of a walk down memory lane as well when you start going through your documents. But I was getting rid of a lot of stuff, old stuff, old receipts, you know, certain receipts you, you keep for a bit. Um, and, you know, you don't need them 10, 20 years later. Uh, if there was ever a dispute about that thing being paid, it's no longer a dispute. So, you know, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do the file cabinet. So it took me a couple days. Uh, yesterday, that was my primary focus. And I came across old photos from university days and all sorts of stuff that I had kind of tucked away in a folder somewhere. Um, there's a few like funeral programs. Do you guys keep fun funeral programs? I just keep a few of people who are very, very close to me. Literally, there's like four <laughs> in there. Um, because I don't like funerals, as you guys know, and I don't tend to go to funerals, but you know, when it's like a parent or a sibling or your favorite uncle, that sort of thing, you kind of keep those items, right? So, um, yeah, so that's what I did the majority of yesterday. And then I was sitting here, um, there's another area with some papers that I need to go through at some point. And I came across a device um, that I'm going to show you guys. You kind of see me doing something with my arms. So, you know, I've been having an issue with um, my tennis elbow, right? And so it continues to be a real struggle. Uh, and so I have this thing called, it's an ice massage roller. It's called a cryosphere ice massage roller. Six hours of cold relief, they say. And uh, it's great for recovery of like, you can use it in all different parts of your body. So essentially it's a removable ball that you put in the um, freezer and you get it super cold and then you use it um, on your body to help you with pain relief. So I'm gonna show you guys this, because this is pretty cool. And so I've had it forever actually. And I have just, um, never use it it's been in the box and i said yesterday i said why do i have this if it's you know let me let me see if i can't use this as part of my my ongoing um therapy you know i'm trying to do a little bit of everything whatever i can to get relief from um the tennis elbow situation and i'm all about you know whatever it takes so acupuncture this that and the next thing uh, I'm going to try it. So I'm going to show you guys some pictures here, but yes, I put it in the freezer yesterday. I was actually going to use it on my foot because I do have an ongoing issue, uh, with my feet that is related to the, the ball of foot pressure. Um, and so I, um, let me see here. So yeah, my intentions were to actually use it in that specific area, but then I thought, well, technically I can use this anywhere, right? Anywhere that you're having pain, that's the idea. So check out the photos and I'm gonna show you in real life what it looks like. So look at these photos. <clears throat> so this is it in the packaging. Yes, it's an ice massage roller. Use um, up to six hours of cold for easy travel. So I guess you can take it with you on the road and uh, it fits in your hand. I'll show it to you here in a second. 
And you can use it to massage pretty much any part of your body. So, you know, a lot of times when you go to the doctor and you're in pain, they'll say, oh, you know, get an ice pack. Some things work well with ice and some do better with heat. We got to get a physiotherapist on here to go through like what's better for heat and whatever. But, you know, some things work really well for heat. And then other things, um, the cold actually helps. But what I find with an ice pack is normally you have it like in one area, right? And, um, you know, you don't get the benefit of the massage at the same time. And by the way, I have actually put on an ice pack before on my chest, fell asleep, for, kind of forgot it was there because I was so tired. And I woke up with it with an ice burn on my chest. I was like, what on earth? I couldn't believe it. And so it took a little while for that ice burn to go away. Because of course, you know, the, the skin on that area is just very, very sensitive. So you do have to be careful with this. Um, you're doing a constant rolling motion. So you're not allowing it to sit in any one particular area. And then you're also getting the benefit of like the massage at the same time. So look at this, look at this. I put it in the freezer yesterday, here it is. It's a little, it's got, a, it's got an eyelash, did you see that just now? It's got its own eyelash. All right, so this is it. This little blue piece actually, like you take it off. Yeah, you guys know I love me a good demo. And this is what goes in the freezer. So I don't know what's on the inside. It looks like it's, sounds like water. Maybe it is just liquid. And then you freeze it and it gets really, really cold. And then you put it back together, right? Yeah, and then you've got this little rubbery base. Um, and then you just, I'm sitting here just like literally rolling this on the forearm that goes into the elbow area. Cause although the pain is emanating um, or it's ending in the tennis elbow, I know that a lot of it comes from the forearm muscles. And so they're very, very tight, uh, probably from typing a lot. <laughs> you know, it's repetitive movements of the wrists and stuff like that. So I'm getting in there good. And I'm just massaging it. So if you hear this noise throughout the show, you know what that's all about. You know, like, what the heck is Sandy doing? I'm sitting here while it's still cold this morning and just give myself a little massage. And can I tell you, like, okay, this is that, I forget what this muscle is. It, it kind of runs like parallel across the forearm. But I can tell you that as I'm doing this and I'm kind of rubbing it and I'm putting just enough force to kind of get in there. Oh my God, I can actually feel how sore that muscle is. It doesn't feel sore otherwise until you start to massage it, you know, cause it's so tight that you don't recognize, Ooh, like right there. Oh my God. Now that's a spot, but you just don't recognize how sore muscle can be sometimes until someone starts to work on it and therapists, whether they're massage therapists or professional, um, physiotherapists can also can oftentimes just untouch because of their training, they touch a, a muscle folks. And they're just like, Whoa, I, this is so tight. Like sometimes they touch my neck and whatever, and they say, okay, this side is tighter than this side. And, uh, you know, when we have tight muscles, we feel it in the sense that, you know, if somebody massages it, then you feel it, but it ends up being chronic pain. And that's what's going on with my tennis elbow. It's just not really resolving itself as I would like for it to be. Acupuncture has helped. I missed my appointment last week though. So I feel like um, I'll continue with the acupuncture. I'll have to continue with the physio, but I'm going to add this to it as well. So I'm going to do this over the weekend and I'll let you guys know on Monday how that is. Someone says you should also look into ozono treatment. It's all natural and like a miracle drug that has been used to treat cancer along with other, like many other things. I use it for protruding disc in my spine. 
but I can tell the difference even um, in my skin. Hmm. Okay. Well, you have to tell me more about it. I have not heard of it before. Um, I'm also told uh, when I went to the um, the visiting physiotherapists, uh, not physiotherapists, that they're doctors, the surgeons, they asked, she said to me, um, I saw the, the shoulder specialist and the knee specialist, and they said that what, you know, there's always emerging uh, therapies, right? So one of the things they said is uh, one of the therapies now that is highly effective for um, the treatment of tennis elbow is plasma, a plasma injection. Now, I don't even know what a plasma injection is. It sounds interesting, um, but I'm told that uh, that, you know, um, is really, really good for tennis elbow. Like they realized that for tennis elbow, it's, it's a fantastic treatment. I thought, okay. Mm, I'm also told it's, it's platelet rich plasma. So are they taking the plasma from you, the patient, or is it coming from somewhere else? So basically involves taking blood from a vein in the arm, concentrating the platelets, um, in a centrifuge and then injecting the platelet rich plasma, which is PRP into the tears and the tendon. And it says it's actually one of the best treatments for tennis elbow. Wow. So wait a minute. So first I have to let them take it out and then put it back in. <laughs> I guess it'd be better than surgery or anything else. Um, so this is according to the American Journal of Sports Medicine. One in 10 patients with persistent tennis elbow end up having surgery. And that's not what we want. Um, and of course, they say the number of cases uh, treated surgically have gone up. Lifestyle. A lot of us spend time doing repetitive movements with the wrists and the computer and on the phone. And, you know, none of these things really are good for us. Um, so they say that uh, this plasma treatment is um, is a good idea. So interesting. Um, so, you know, sometimes they say that it just, um, it just takes time. Uh, you know, when people say to me, stuff takes time, I'm just like, uh, how long? <laughs> because I'm not the most patient person in the world. Um, we have done an injection already that uh, didn't last very long, unfortunately. I think that was a steroid or was it cortisone injection? But anyway, that's probably cortisone. Um, that helped a lot with the shoulder, interestingly enough. Um, but the tennis elbow just didn't resolve itself. So anyway, I'm going to try this. I will let you guys know if this helps. Consistency is important though. Whatever you do, whatever kind of therapy you do, and of course, in between doing your stretches and your exercises, extremely important. So good morning to all of you. Good morning, Brother Tommy joining us. He says that he had a really nice time watching the premiere last night. Great things for 2022 is stated. All the best. Thank you, Tommy. Alice is here. Diamond Princess. Elizabeth Buenos Diaz. Catherine. Felicia. Miss Lily. Um, is that car in East End, close to Health City, still there? So there was an accident. Uh, I want to say that it was, it's been over a week for sure. And um, <clears throat> someone went out to East End last week. And they were like, hey, Sandy, why is this, why is this car right here? 
And I thought, oh yeah, I heard about that accident. Um, let me tell you when this person sent it to me. This was sent to me on the 28th, which is, was that a week ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was exactly week Friday. And apparently this vehicle is still out there. I'm going to show this to you guys uh, because it is a clear and present danger to other people who are driving on the road. So I can't um, imagine why it's still there. Why has it not been moved? Somebody decided to finally put some cones in front of it, but it is almost literally in front, like touching the road. Like it's very, very close. It's in the shoulder technically, but it's very, very close to touching the road. So let me show you guys uh, this because um, it seems like the only time someone is minded to remove these vehicles is when we put it up, these derelict vehicles. Now listen, it should be your responsibility if you're involved in a car accident, right? And you total your vehicle, you the owner of the vehicle, um, that's why we make sure that people have insurance. You should be responsible folks for the removal of the vehicle and the debris. Now, if it's a fatality, you know, the police will normally take the vehicle into, um, I don't wanna say into custody, but you know, they take it as evidence, right? So that's a very different situation, but look at this vehicle, look at this. What a hot mess. If it's not a fatality, so Jason says it's still there. Are you kidding me? What on earth? No, sir. So I have a picture from last week, Friday. This is last week, Friday. Look at this. It is literally the front end is like literally on the road on the line. So here you are driving by. You better be careful that you stay on the other side of the line because, you know, you could tap this derelict vehicle, this derelict car. Please, someone find out who owns this vehicle and have them move it. This is a disgrace. They're lucky they're not dead, to be honest, because I don't know how we got so much back end damage, though. Did it like spin around and then the back end is what hit the wall, I suppose. Um, no clue what direction they were traveling. But yes, this remains an eyesore in the beautiful district of East End. Somebody, like I said, finally put some cones there to say, oh, caution, especially driving at night uh, or if you're cycling or whatever, now you have to be careful crossing this this bit of the road, you know, um, very, not just an eyesore, but it's, it's dangerous. And I hope that whoever owns this vehicle should be watching this. Now, what is the process here, folks? Help, help me understand how this works, right? So you, um, crash your vehicle. You, you don't have enough common sense to remove the vehicle yourself. Uh, DVDL must know who the owner of the vehicle is. Are they not saying to um, the owners of these vehicles, uh, come and come and move your derelict vehicle? Whose responsibility is it? Because I feel like this is probably one of those things where everybody's going to pass the buck. Is this an NRA responsibility? Is it a um, is it the responsibility of you know the driver's licensing department? Um, I don't imagine it would be planning. So I feel like the logical uh, road safety is normally NRA, police, and maybe DVDL, and they might work in conjunction with each other. Just do the right thing here, folks. Move your vehicle. And we see this all the time. There's one down in Fairbanks um, for well over a week. 
everybody was complaining to me about this. Uh, I think that was like last week or something. And so whenever we post these up, it's very, very interesting what ends up happening. That people are like, oh, well, not everybody can afford to move their car. I'm like, listen, if you can afford a car and you have to recognize that having the luxury, because it is a luxury to be a car owner and to have use of our roads, right? When I say luxury, I don't mean like an ultra luxury, but it's still a privilege. Let's use that word. That's a better word. If you are enjoying the privilege of being on the roadways, there's certain things that you have to do. So you have to maintain a roadworthy vehicle, for example. It has to be properly licensed and insured, insured, even if it's third-party insurance because that protects other people um, against you, right? And your potential negligence or whatever on the roadway. And I dare say that in addition to that, you know, if you get in an accident, it should be your responsibility to remove the debris from the roadway. And I cannot believe that this vehicle actually is still there. That's just crazy. But thanks, Jason, for the confirmation. Uh, Shannon says, why isn't the minister of East End asking for the vehicle to be taken away? Should he even have to ask? I mean, I know that we love to micromanage. We love to have politicians that micromanage everything. Um, that's the Caymanian way. Like, you know, I burp and I'm like, oh, I got indigestion. Call my politician. Listen. I think Caymanians need to get out of this mindset that the politicians are the ones to call for every little thing. Surely he might have something, hopefully, more strategic that he's working on. How about just some personal responsibility for the driver, right? Good morning, Jamelia. Jamelia says the owner should have called a wrecker. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty. Robert thinks it might be the police. Morning, Debbie. The ugly truth says Cayman used to be the exception when it came to cleanliness. Uh, not now. We are just like any other third world Caribbean country. Garbage blowing all over the place. Cars on blocks and front yards. And that's another thing that is really, really a concern. I hear that down in, I haven't been down in Belford Estates in a minute, but I've heard that down in Belford Estates, it's horrible. Uh, derelict vehicles, people running illegal garages all over the place in a residential area. You know, they're allowing... Um, oil to seep into the ground, which goes into your water supply and, and pipes and all this sort of stuff. And they have no regard for the health and safety of anyone around them, much less, you know, the beautification of our beautiful island. But yeah, there's some real hubs and some real areas of concern as it relates to derelict vehicles, trash and garbage all over the place. And you know, the ugly truth, I must tell you, that one of the things that I always say, like when I visit a country, one of the first things I look at is how clean are the public streets? You know, whether I go to Panama, Honduras, the US, whatever, when I walk in the streets, I'm always looking at garbage. Like, you know, is there a lot of garbage collected everywhere? Is there debris? Or is there, you know, because that tells you a lot, I feel like, um, about a country, just overall cleanliness. Because if you can't keep your, your country free of all of this, you know, disgusting clutter and garbage, uh, at least keep it in a central location, like whatever your recycling or dump facility is, then you create other issues. You've got rodents and rats and, and cockroaches and all these things that, you know, will come into the community as a result of this sort of thing. But this is a real um, issue, folks. So I'm going to post it up today. This is kind of our jackass of the day, to be honest, whoever this individual is. Um, please consider 
uh, strongly now removing your vehicle. Now, before we bring on our guests, uh, Carolina is here in the back. Um, let me also update you guys on another situation. So good morning to Larry joining us from New York. Marshall is here from North Carolina. Um, good morning, Dale. So listen, on Monday, was it Monday? Maybe it was Tuesday. I was telling you guys about this vehicle that was driving. Um, it came into, remember I was coming out of the Savannah gas station, and it's a blue Honda Fit that came from behind, overtook another blue Honda Fit, overtook me, and then created its own lane in the roundabout. And, um, you know, almost ran me off the road going into in, down Hearst Road. Well, after thinking about it and seeing some of the discourse on, on the uh, CMR page, I actually reported it to the police because sometimes as good citizens, it's our responsibility to do so. So this person, I got a call from the police yesterday and they informed me that the person um, has been ticketed because I was able to provide the CCTV footage. The person has been ticketed and the police are going to reach out to the NRA to see if they can actually put cones there to make it abundantly clear. Because a lot of you seem to think, uh, based on the discourse that I saw in any event, that that roadway, that uh, I think it's still considered roundabout, right? So it's it doesn't really go around, but it, it gives you um, access then to the, the main arterial again to get out of, like if you're coming from the gas station or whatever. Or even if you're coming from the Eastern districts, you can turn into that to then go into countryside. So they're going to speak to the NRA about putting cones there to actually block off the side. Because what they've realized, and the guy said, you know, the detective said, it's happened to him before as well. Because it's a little bit wider, like it's not extremely narrow, people seem to think incorrectly that the width means that, um, you know, it's meant for two lanes. And it clearly isn't. I mean, you just need to look at the road markings, folks. It is a one lane situation. So you give way to people from the right, whoever's coming from the right has the right of way, right? So if I'm coming out of the gas station, I have to give way to the people coming from off the main road who want to access that same point. Once I have that all clear, then subject to nothing else in my way, I should be able to cross over safely. But there shouldn't be someone coming from behind me and then coming into on the left side of me um, and then taken over in the way in which he did. So the good news is um, the police definitely see the danger in it. They admit that it is a problem um, that they've had reported before. And um, that once again, you know, they're going to reach out to the NRA to try to get it resolved. And I thought this was great. This is what we want is resolution. Prevention is better than cure any day of the week. So he was um, jackass of the day. And I hate to say now, um, I actually don't hate to say it, but jackass of the day is going to be ticketed. So there you go. Um, so good morning, Miss Sue. Good morning, Annette. So good to see you. Scott is here. Scott, where have you been? I've missed you. Um, Annette says, keep up the good work to enlighten the public. Thank you so much. So speaking of enlightenment, uh, please put your virtual hands together as we invite our guests into the studio. Miss Carolina Ferreira. Good morning. Good morning, Sandy. How are you? I'm good. Is that a balloon in the background? Did somebody have a birthday? Uh, yeah, January is birthdays for in my household. So oh, <laughs> nice. Awesome. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, fantastic. So how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Yeah, we're good. 
We are very good here at CMR. We got 220 people um, between YouTube and Facebook watching this morning. So tell us what you've got going on. I know that you keep busy um, as the deputy director of the Red Cross. That's it. Yeah. So my two hats, right? It's deputy director and then child protection and sexuality education program manager. So, um, so yeah, so I actually get to talk about my program today. Um, So 2022 um, is actually the 10th anniversary of our Protection Starts Here project, which Mm -hmm. is our um, child abuse prevention project that started in 2012. And because of that, as being a milestone, um, we're going to be, oh, there you go, you have it up. We're going to be launching the the year-long campaign um, with a mm-hmm. virtual rescreening of our documentary and speakable confronting child sexual abuse in the Cayman Islands and then we're going to have an interactive panel discussion with representatives from um, HSA the Ministry of Education EAP and SANS as well as of course you know, of course it's the Red Cross so you know I think it's um, that we thought this would be a great opportunity to not only talk about the gains that we've made when it comes to uh, building capacity within the area area of child safeguarding, but also to talk about the gaps. You know, I think um, it's it's pretty um, great that we have been able to, to accomplish and put in place a lot of different things. But as you know well, there are still a lot of things that need to be done. Um, and in order to do so, I think it's going to, you know, we have to kind of drill it home that this is a community effort and people need to make a big deal about this. And it's just like, you know, the community needs to 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 create enough noise around this issue for us to actually start seeing some additional things done. And as always, you know, we tend to be very reactive instead of being proactive, uh-huh. um, you know, and it's just like, so, yeah, you know, we've, we've been doing what we can, we've been raising awareness we've been kind of you know pushing it as much as possible uh but certainly you know it's like once the the community needs to, to sort of take stock and see if this is something that is of value for them to put forward uh, and to essentially help us um you know by because child protection is everyone's responsibility you know there isn't a single one magic thing that you can do that's going to you know make sure that children are protected all around it's like it is this is work that you do day in and day out right well, thank you so much um, for this. Uh, I think that it's amazing that 10 years, first of all, has gone by that quickly. But um, this is this is really an important initiative. I mean, you know, our regular viewers will know that this is one of the issues. Um, I feel like it's a single issue that I speak on repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And it's very, very near and dear to my heart. Um, trying to protect our children from child sexual abuse. Uh, and I always say, as you say, you know, prevention is is really what we need to be focusing on, but there's different elements to this. So folks, um, again, uh, Carolina works very closely. She's a member of the MASH unit. And, um, you know, this is, it's an uncomfortable discussion, but it's one that is necessary. And we need to continue to have it uh, in the public domain in order to let everybody know, um, parents, you know, leaders in our community, um, you know, children even, that this is something that we have to discuss because it's something that has an impact on everyone in the community, not just the initial victims. So this event, Unspeakable, uh, is a doc- documentary rescreening followed by an interactive uh, panel discussion, and they're going to have a number of um, their partners uh, speaking on this. Everyone from HSA, um, 
the Red Cross. What is SANS? Tell me what SANS is. Oh, SANS are, are um, essentially our private sector partner who help us with all of the um, the Bobo and TD videos um, that we oh, do. So yeah, nice. so they're, the, they're the people who are responsible actually for Bobo and TD and they've lent them to us a couple of times. I know that okay. you were a, a fan of the LFT ones, um, but they yeah. actually, um, it was the first thing that we did together um, other than a couple of the uh, public service announcements from back in 2012 was actually the the child safety lesson um, for children mm. called My Body is My Own, uh, right. which we were rolling out between 2019 and 2020. Um, and of course, you know what happened there, but a lot of different schools had already sort of rolled out. Um, and the whole thing uh, around it is to give kids correct information about their body parts and then the swimsuit rules and whatnot. So that's actually the first thing that we, uh, that the first sort of joint effort that we made with them with Bobo and Titi was My Body is My Own, which is a free child safety lesson that is available for um, educators um, across the island. And really, we've had people from different islands and even in the U.S. Um, uh, ask us for it um, to really um, kind of make it very accessible for kids and ensure that, you know, it's evidence-based uh, and best practices driven. So, yeah, so Bobo and TD um, for us started off with My Body is My Own. Hmm. Very good. Awesome. Um, so the event will be February the 10th, folks, which is next week, Thursday, um, from 6.30 p.m. until 8 p.m. And of course, uh, Catalina, we will definitely be happy to grab your um, your live stream and send awesome. it through to our uh, viewers. So folks, go ahead and mark your calendar for next week, Thursday, 6.30 to um, 8 p.m. And tell us a little bit about what else we can expect as part of the 10-year, um, the celebrating the 10th uh, year of this initiative. Um, I think, you know, obviously with where we're at with the pandemic, um, we we have to work within sort of what, what our reality is. So uh, we're going to be doing a lot in terms of, you know, our social media, um, as far as, you know, education. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, introducing a couple of different opportunities for people to get trained. So I think as you, as you probably know, um, we have been offering the Darkness to Light Stewards of Children um, training program uh, free of cost to the community for almost 10 years now. I think it's, we started in 2013 or so. Um, and we, we've actually, after the, the pandemic hit, we shifted um, the model and continue to offer it through their virtual asynchronous platform. So you can actually still do the full Darkness to Light Stewards of Children training uh, from the comfort of your own home. It's a two-hour training session that you do on their platform. And once you sign up through the Red Cross, uh, you're able to still get it for free. Um, and then what we're going to be looking at doing is, because a lot of people have done um, stewards, which is fantastic. Um, and we're going to be looking at introducing another module called um, recognizing and reporting child abuse, because there's still that aspect of it in terms of connecting what you learn in stewards with the action that you need to take, um, especially if you are a mandated reporter. And mandated reporters are not just you know the, the teachers and counselors and doctors and nurses, but also anyone who volunteers and has a duty of care towards a child. So it's about sort of you know, building capacity. So that's another thing that we're, we're looking to um, introduce hopefully next month that will allow people to enhance their child safeguarding skills. Um, and, you know, and we're, we're trying to think of ways in which we can actually engage children, you know, with, um, you know, sort of different educational components, um, you know, but of course, we, we're, we're very mindful of the pandemic. And, you know, we know that right now schools aren't really having visitors come in. So we're trying to be creative with that. So it's going to be a lot of information 
education, um, you know, obviously a lot of use uh, with our social media, hopefully partnering with, you know, persons like you and CMR to kind of have this conversation on an ongoing basis, because I think it's about breaking down, you know, what constitutes child sexual abuse, what is physical abuse, what is okay. neglect, what is emotional abuse, right? Because I mean, it's just like sexual abuse is the one that we talk about in terms of uh, the most because it is possibly the most taboo. But we know from our, you know, statistics locally that physical abuse um, happens more often uh, and more regularly than, you know, we would like to admit as well. So, you know, so I think it's about kind of, of being holistic in that and in, in keeping our messages coming through and advocating, advocating for uh, the gaps to be addressed. Because the biggest gap that we noticed 10 years ago that we're still fighting for today is the fact that there are no national standards for youth serving organizations in the Cayman Islands. Uh -huh. There are no standards. And it's just like, and, and that needs to be rectified. We had um, several different organizations who have come through our training because they are conscientious and they want to do their best to um, get to best practices, but there's nothing that's really telling them, hey, you're gonna set up a summer camp, this is what you need to do. This is the level of training that, you, that your people need to have. These are the background checks. This is, you know, you need to have these policies in place. So there's nothing there um, when it comes to non-educational institutions right now. And it's a huge vulnerability for our kids. It has been a huge vulnerability for our kids. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's those are the things that we're going to be doing. It's a lot of education, a lot of awareness, a lot of looking back and then sort of looking forward um, and, you know, trying to engage people as much as we can sort of, you know, through uh -huh. platforms like yours. Awesome. Wonderful. So, um, folks, you know, again, this information is extremely important. So thank you so much, uh, Carolina, for organizing and continually being um, a voice uh, through your organization and through your outreach programs. For anything at all, folks, that, um, you know, protects our children, we, we need these programs. And really, it's about uh, providing you with information access information so that you can be informed because that's how you discover stuff. And I was telling viewers that this week, you know, I was in court and I'm going to talk about this um, case a little bit after uh, Carolina leaves, but it was a sexual abuse case and um, the person ended up getting off seven counts. And um, it's hard for me to sit there and watch these types of cases and then um, in my opinion, see at the end that there was no real justice. And then the questions that follow is yeah. what happens to this young child who's only, you know, like 11, 12 years old? What will her future be? Right. Um, and those inconsistencies when it comes to the way in which things are dealt with um, at yeah. that level is one of the things that we recognize being a gap. Yeah. Because um, as we put in the, um, you know, in the documentary from before, when Sue Tresseter was still at the school working as a counselor, um, she talks about what kids say to her when it comes to, you know, sort of being able to come forward. And mm -hmm. one of the things that they say that stops them from coming forward is the fact that, you know, it's like, well, I, I, I get removed from the home and you know and it's just like and then nothing ends up happening you know to the person who's hurting me so why would i turn my life upside down you know and it's just like and and that's and, and that's one of the that's one of the threats that the perpetrators use a lot yes um you're gonna break up the family you know yes. it's gonna be your fault um they're gonna send you away or you know yeah. and i think the way in which it's handled it, it almost does confirm that message um, in the mind of, um, of the victims, especially very young victims who don't quite fully understand how the process works. 
Is there anything being done? And you might not be able to answer this question, Carolina, but is there anything being done to, um, to help the police do a better job? Because I feel like so many of these cases are lost because of poor police work. Um, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah, no. And um, I think that there has been, obviously, with the, the setup of the MASH unit. So just to correct you on there, I'm actually not part of the MASH. The MASH, the primary MASH is DCFS and the Royal Cayman Islands Police Service. So that's the two right. of them that actually go through it. Uh, their immediate partner would be HSA through the child psychologist who actually deals with that. And then there are other mm -hmm. organizations that are kind of like the periphery of MASH. Okay. So like the, so the education services would be closer and whatnot. We're sort of a far removed partner, but we work with a lot of people who work in the match so so i just wanted to correct that but um but yeah so i think that the, the whole idea of establishing the match was to ensure that you know you had a a specific um unit from the police that is kind of you know with the department of children and family services that are able to then kind of create, do the joint investigations and everything else um is there room for improvement always right when it comes to these things um and i think that um there was you know with the change in personnel and other things kind of you know you go back and you need to go forward again and, and everything else but it is something that we advocate for like when we have um and this was when um inspector ashworth was here as the head of the fsu and you know we had a very good relationship and whatnot and if when people were coming to us and whatnot being able to flag because this is part of where this partnership like the work of the partnership is sort of behind the scenes that people don't really know and see it it is the fact that we have these relationships with these professionals and we're able to pick up the phone yeah. and be like okay well these things are happening and whatnot so how can we help how can we address this gap and when it comes to certain things so yes yeah, so that's part of our advocacy as well you know um and i think it is it is going to be one of those things where um as they look at you know the all of the more holistically at the rcips and the work that they're doing there um this is something that has been flagged um and you know sort of needs to to, to, to be worked on. Um, and what we're trying to do, obviously, is to empower communities and individuals and families uh, to be able to, to know, okay, well, these are what you should be expecting. And if you're not getting that, you know, when it's just like reach out for, for help. And it's just like, cause we don't really have community advocates um, within our system. That's not something that we do. So we almost kind of fill in that de facto advocacy role um, wherever we can. If people are coming to us and saying, you know, it's just like, look, I'm not getting anywhere. This isn't, you know, when it's just like, and we can kind of help with that process. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's also the, you know, the, understanding and the recognition that you know it's like perhaps it's 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 a question of, of resources as well in terms of mm -hmm. understanding just how many of these cases are, are you know coming through and how you know and it's just uh, um if memory serves i think that by 2019 the mash had over a thousand referrals on their desk um for um uh, child protection. Um, it was 1100 in 2020, even though you'll remember that we were in lockdown between March and September, which basically means like, you know, that all of the, the referrals that would normally come from education during that time weren't coming in. And even so, we were looking at that. And I believe that the projection for last year, because I haven't seen the uh, the final um, statistic, but the projection for last year was close to 1,600 referrals oh um, for child safeguarding. So, you know, and it's both that aspect of as people are more aware of what constitute of you know in terms of the suspicion of abuse and whatnot, you see that 
increase. Um, but similarly, you know, it's just like, well, what resources do we have really and truly to be able to deal with that amount of, you know, things that you end up needing to investigate. So I think that, that there's that component um, that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a lot of cases. And I mean, and, you, and still, you and I both know that there's a huge number of, there's a big disparity between what's reported and what is actually happening. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talked quite a bit about our kids' um, mental health during the lockdown. And, you know, we know that, that um, any sort of isolation situation like that leads to more domestic violence. So victims are at greater risk because now they're in a 24-hour lockdown situation with their, um, you know, with their their perpetrators um, and the assailants. And that's the same thing with children. You know, children have no no sort of safe place anymore. Like before they might get out for school during the day. Now they're having to stay home to do homeschool and all this stuff. And it's just, you know, the, the, the perpetrator is not going to work if they have a job and those sorts of things. So it's, it's really, um, it heightens the, the need for us to definitely continue with these messages and continue outreach programs, such as what you're doing, educating people and letting people know that there, there is help and that you need to definitely, um, to come forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is part of the motivation for when we did the mobile health and wellness um, um, run for five weeks right after the lockdown had ended was to try and get, you know, some kids who who may have needed that kind of support and whatnot to be able to get in front of a professional. Because at that point in time, you know, kids hadn't really been out with anybody other than people in their own homes for, you know, over two months. Um. So, you know, so that was part of it as well in terms of, yes, we want to check on your mental health and your physical health, but, you know, should there be a need, should there be anything else happening in the home, then the aim is for us to be able to, you know, try to identify it and, and, and see, um, you know, if we're able to to provide support and, and address those situations. Because it is, it is just like, you know, and we're still kind of um, feeling all of these, uh, of these things, the stressors are still there, even though we're not in lockdown and whatnot. So, so yeah, so I think it's, um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying our best to kind of, you know, identify gaps and whatnot, but we do have this big picture in mind. And the big picture really is to create the the structure, the systems, the capacity um, that really and truly make um, child protection and child safeguarding a part of our culture. Because our culture right now is one that protects perpetrators. So we need mm-hmm. a cultural shift. So, and that's what we're pushing for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. All right, well, uh, Carolina, thank you so much um, for this. And again, folks, please continue to stay tuned to our platform. Let me just put this slider up again so that you can get all the details in case you missed it. Um, so this is uh, Unspeakable, Confronting Child Sexual Abuse in the Cayman Islands. And they're going to do both a rescreening of a documentary followed by an interactive panel discussion with representatives from a number of different um, agencies. It's next week, Thursday, in the evening from 6.30 until 8 p.m. So get home early, get dinner sorted out, get the kids sorted out and join in um, on the viewing of this. And will people be able to participate and have questions answered, uh, Carolina, if they're watching? Yes, absolutely. And uh, we're going to do our best um, to also be able to monitor the live streams um, on Facebook so yeah. that if any questions are coming through that, we'll, we'll do our best to get them and to, to get them answered. Okay. So Virtuous yeah. says, thank you for talking about uh, the disgusting and painful subject for all of us that have been abused. 
Um, a man can be hugging you closely with his hands be placed on your private part um, in plain sight. So um, Virtuous is grateful for your for your continued efforts. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's it's yeah, I mean, Virtuous, it's it's unbelievable what what people will do. And abusers can be very bold, apparently, mm -hmm. which is shocking. But, oh yeah, no, we've 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 heard it all about you know children being abused in a room full of people and whatnot, and nobody being the wiser around it. You know, so I think it's a, it's about recognizing that. And the biggest hurdle for people to recognize is the fact that it's not just a child that is groomed, but also you as an adult, because we don't give access to our children to the creep or the pervert or the person who rubs us the wrong way. We give access to our children to people whom we trust sometimes people whom we love um, and because we tend to other persons who commit these crimes against children, we, we don't see the fact that their vulnerabilities are actually in our own houses, in our own schools, in our own churches. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's the hardest thing and it's, it's, it's a tough thing, but it's a, yeah, unless we, we, you know, come to terms with that reality and it's just like, we're always, always going to be chasing our tails. Yeah. Yeah. And as a parent, you know, I find that I'm I'm maybe a little bit hyper alert and hypersensitive, but I watch everything, Caroline. I feel sometimes oh. it's a level of paranoia, but I know that it's the only real way to, to offer my daughter like a fighting chance of, of not being a victim, you know? Oh, so of course. I I limit her contact with people in any event. Um, not any and everybody can have access to her. You know, if she tells someone, no, I don't want to hug you, I don't care who that person is. Uh, male, female, family member. I do not care if she says no. Yeah. You have to respect her no. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't force her. And I know it's a Caribbean thing to oh no, go hug grandpa, go hug your uncle. And when the child tells you no, you still try to force them to do that. And I have, you know, I've had this conversation with my husband because I think um, myself having been removed from the Caribbean, I don't necessarily have those ingrained like social norms. Yeah. Um, and I get it. I get when they say this is not a good idea and here's why. And so, but you know, for other people in the family, it's like, Oh, what's wrong with you? Like, why don't you tell her to go and hug that particular person in the family? And, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. If she's not comfortable with someone, if she doesn't like someone, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with her about what's going on in her head and why someone even makes her feel uncomfortable or whatever the situation is, you know, because she's only five years old, but there are times when she'll say to me, something an adult said to her has hurt her feelings. And, yeah. you know, there's times she hasn't heard it quite right or she hasn't interpreted it quite right, but I still make the time to listen to her and have a conversation with her and maybe help her to navigate um, what the person might've been trying to say, but I'm very, very cautious to listen to her and allow her to have a voice. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And know. it's important because I mean, I think that the part that people miss when it comes to those things, it's like, you know, we obviously explain it from the perspective of um, if you're teaching your child that an adult can override their wishes, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, it's like, you don't want to hug somebody, but and it's just like, well, your mom or your dad or another adult has power mm -hmm. over your body. Then you're setting them up to accept people who have power over their bodies versus exactly. if you're actually modeling the thing. So it's like if, it, if mom and dad and grandma and grandpa are the closest people to you and you're modeling the behavior of, do you have hugs for me today? And it's just like yeah. when nobody is, is telling you what to do with their bodies. And it's just like, then that means that when that person is trying to get them to do something, they're like, wait a minute, but this isn't okay because yeah. mom and dad, grandma and grandpa who love me the most don't do this to me. So why would exactly. this person who is, you know, it's like, oh, whoever it is. So I think yeah. it's about those things that we model. And I think 
even for those of us who are further removed from children who work in youth serving organizations the reason mm. why we push so hard for you know these national standards is because if kids are already coming from situations where it is that they're not getting that modeling at home if they're being mm. modeled in the schools at church in the you know in the soccer field or wherever it is and it's just like you know then they're getting that so that there's something that goes off in them when it says wait a minute this is not okay you know, and it's just like, and I think those are the things that we don't really realize the number of messages that we've picked up on mm -hmm. over the years, just because of the way in which it has always been. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, like I said before, the way that it has always been is that children are seen and not heard, that an adult can tattletale on you and nobody's going to believe you, you know, and it's just like that, you know, you probably, whatever happens to you, you're probably at fault in some way. So mm -hmm. these are the messages that we're trying to break. And to do that, we actually have to treat children like human beings who are worthy and, you know, in and of, you know, of, of respect in and of themselves instead of talking down to them. So yeah, it's a culture shift, Sandy. So I'm sure we'll have lots of discussions on this as the year goes through and i appreciate the fact that you've taken the time so thank you yeah well thank you too for coming on all right catalina enjoy the rest of your day and um we'll definitely have the live stream available on thursday evening folks and uh, do keep us updated we'll also post it on our social media platforms so that everybody can anticipate that it's coming and keep us posted on anything else that you're working on um, that we can share with our audience i appreciate it thank you so much Okay, thanks again. Um, all right, folks, so that is Carolina Ferreira um, working, uh, doing a lot of stuff behind the scene, folks, working on behalf of her children and lots of wonderful initiatives. She's also the deputy director over the Cayman Islands Red Cross. And as you guys will be well aware, uh, the Cayman Islands Red Cross is a lot of really good work in the community. So I try to always support their efforts wherever possible. So let me talk about this case a little bit. Um, and I'm going to do a completely separate um sort of singular discussion on this because uh one of the things in the world of content creation which is a large part of what we do right so you know here in cmr we, we're kind of a hybrid um between traditional newspaper but then we do a lot of like editorial pieces commentary on what's happening in the community we have this show so it's like a media platform beyond just um a news platform you know we obviously have our social media um, platform which is extremely popular facebook and instagram in particular and uh, i know that people might not have an opportunity to always sit here every morning although a couple hundred of you are here every morning like clockwork uh, and then thousands go back and watch it, but not everyone will get an opportunity to sit through the two hour show and watch it. And that's one of the reasons why we are expanding um, into radio, because I feel like, you know, you have a captured audience a lot of times who are sitting in their vehicles and, um, you know, they don't have anything else to do, to be honest. They're there with the kids or they're just driving and they're trying to pass the time and they could be tuned in and listening and calling into the program and participating as well. So that's one way in which in 2022, we're obviously expanding. We've also started our evening news segment. So we're expanding in terms of our video content. And I've always wanted to do more video content and shorter video content. So that's one of my primary focus areas for 2022 in terms of organizational goals for Cayman Mall Road, right? So uh, we have editorial contents that we can do. Um, you know, I want to encourage you all, like if you have an opinion, and I was telling Jared this uh, just yesterday, in fact, if you guys have an opinion about something, um, you can write us and we can do it in print. But, you know, people don't really like to read, you know. That's why if you notice, most of our story, most of our stories are very, very short. 
sweet and to the point, because I know that once I exceed a certain amount of words, y'all are checked out by the second paragraph. So we give you the good tea in the first two paragraphs. I mean, it has to really be an engaging story for you guys to go, oh yeah, I really want to, um, to continue reading into paragraph four and five. That's just human nature, folks. Um, I get it. I understand it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I want to ensure that you're still getting the content in a digestible way. So I have committed to doing shorter videos. Uh, we have Kevin Watler, big shout out to Kevin there in Florida, who's also going back to our show and he's clipping out segments of the show. So say, for example, I speak for like five minutes on something on this program. We know people are more likely to watch a five minute segment than a two hour segment as well. Right. So Kevin goes back and he will actually clip out uh, relevant segments and stuff as well for um, for our viewers. So, you know, we're working on a couple of different things, shorter videos and so on. So I'm going to do a specific video on this particular case, because this case I found for me was um, very, very disturbing. Uh, that's the only way that I could possibly explain it. I listened to it. I was the only media representative there who was actually tuned in to um, most of the trial. And I find it, um, you know, really um, peculiar that the jury still came to the conclusion that this man was, was not guilty. Now, it's a jury trial, so I guess ultimately the jury has that ability to, to make their decision, you know. Um, but I do believe that sometimes jurors get it wrong. There's a lot of things, and, you know, a lawyer said to me this week, and I thought it was kind of interesting, he said uh, he, he was going to try and find me the, um, the judge that said it, but there was uh, this really famous case uh, many, many years ago where this judge in the UK said, are you going to, um, are you going to give me uh, the facts of this case? And the lawyer famously said, no, your honor, I'm going to give you the evidence in this case. So sometimes the evidence that's presented isn't always factual. Or it's not all of the facts and the things that are missing. And so the evidence is presented in a couple of different ways. So you have the prosecution who presents their case. Uh, they normally will show, for example, if the person subjected themselves to an interview, they will normally show that interview. If the police officers involved um, can come and you know take the stand and give evidence, they do that. Uh, they have physicians. So there's a young, there was a physician who examined the young patient. But you know, there are parts even during the trial that I'm sitting there thinking this really wasn't handled all that well by the police. And this is really what um, gets me discouraged, right? So when you have, for example, um, the medical professional saying, I examined the child, but it was a general examination. It wasn't an examination or request to examine her in relation to um, sexual abuse. Um, to me, that's really kind of crazy because the police, when she was contacted or DCDF, DCDS, DCDF uh, Family Services, you know, they didn't say that this is a sexual abuse allegation. Now, the doctor did admit that, unfortunately, with sexual um, abuse cases, a lot of time, the passage of time, even with children, 
means that there might not be forensic physical evidence for them to work off of. So this was a situation where the man was facing seven charges. Um, he is the father of this child. Now, I'm not going to name him, obviously, because then you would know who the child is. And, um, you know, he's also been exonerated by jury. But I was listening to things that made me so uncomfortable, right? So he's saying that this child is a liar um, and that his own daughter is lying on him, that he raped her on, I think, three different occasions, penetrated her with his penis. This is a real conversation here this morning, folks. Forgive me for having to be as um, blunt as the evidence was that I had to hear in court. And on other occasions, he was leading up to that. He was grooming her like he was rubbing up against her. He was taking her, his hand and putting it down, you know, his pants. These are the allegations. And I want to be very clear. He has been found not guilty by um, six men and one woman. There's only one woman on the jury, an older woman at that. I mean, I thought to myself, Ooh, whoever picked and allowed this jury to be picked, this is one of those jury fishing expeditions as well, I'm sure, where I didn't see the jury selection process. But I'm sure the um, defense attorney probably objected to, to more women being on the jury, more sensible people obviously being on the jury as well. But anyway, um, so, you know, um, there were all these things that had gone on. And one of the things that he did, allegedly, this is what the victim said, is that at one point he was um, uh, starting to molest her in a room and her caregiver which was his girlfriend, because um, apparently he hires people to take care of her, like he hired a caregiver, and then entered into a sexual relationship with the caregiver, because then it was his girlfriend as well, um, walked into the room and he stopped. And I thought to myself, did she not sense something? Like, you know, have you not been in a situation where you're like, okay, I've just walked into a situation here, something's wrong, something's off. Because he ain't the sharpest in the in the he's not the sharpest. Okay. Um, he is a Jamaican national and he has sole custody of his child. I don't want to say too much more than that. Um, cause again, I don't want to give away any identifying information about who these people really are. I also found it disturbing that he has custody of the child. And at some point DCDF would have been in the life of the child. You give her sole custody to a parent, a primary parent who's a male. And there does not appear to be any support at all. Like you're not checking in on the child. You're not, you know, asking him even if he needs help with this child, what's going on in his life. So every time I think he works, I don't even know the type of work, but I, it's not, it's not anything that requires a great degree of skill. Let's put it that way. Um, DCFS. Thank you. And so, you know, he always gets a one bedroom apartment. Every time he moves, he's always moving. He gets a one bedroom apartment. And um, when they start to ask, like, well, where does the child, where does she sleep? Oh, well, she's sleeping in the bed with me. But, you know, we sleep in opposite directions. I was sitting there, like, I just had, like, my brain, uh, like, literally just froze when I heard that. I was like, what kind of sick shit is this? And he seems to think that that's okay. To be sleeping with a girl, a young girl, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, and you're a big, hard back man. Oh, well, he can't afford more than one bedroom. I'm sorry. But there's just certain things that are not appropriate. 
And, you know, like I said, I know that I'm a little bit hypersensitive to this sort of stuff, but fathers should not be sleeping with anyone, any of their children, um, grandchildren or anything of the sort. You have to teach children to have their own private space. So when they go to the bathroom, they need to have their own private space. They need to be able to shower. You know, I know that as a parent, I still got a five-year-old, so she's not the best at scrubbing, you know, all the areas that she needs to scrub. So I'm the primary caregiver. I'm the one who helps her with that kind of stuff. My husband doesn't get involved in bath time. When she was a baby, 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 he would kind of like help out, get the bath ready and whatever. You know, you have to encourage fathers to be involved up to a certain point. But I don't believe that fathers should be sitting there um, sleeping in the bed all night with a nine-year-old or 10-year-old when you're the sole parental caregiver. Like that, that just doesn't add up. You know, uh, he claims that he didn't have anywhere else to sleep. Although sometimes, depending on the apartment he was in, maybe he might hang out on the sofa if he fell asleep on the sofa. There were so many things that he said. At one point, he talked about some situation, but, oh, he thought that she was a lesbian. And he kept saying it. It was so funny because he would say it as though it was like two separate words. Like it was really bizarre. Um, what father is sitting down worried about whether or not his 11-year-old child is a lesbian. Who, who starts to think about their child as a sexual being at 10 and 11 years old? Like, I don't like the kids she's hanging out with. You know, I don't like that she's hanging out in school with these kids because, you know, they they, they want to hug her and all kind of stuff. And that's, that's hugging is, is sexual in nature and it's lesbian behavior. Like, there was so much stuff that this dude was saying that demonstrated his level of ignorance, generally speaking, and then specifically to this case, that I was convinced that surely this jury is going to get it right. In my opinion, they didn't, <laughs> you know, but hey, he's now walking free. Um, so now the question is, what happens to this child? Is DF DCFS, right? So she's been out of his custody since these allegations. Let, let's, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. Say that the allegations are not true. And this poor child has made up all these different situations. She talked about being abused at different locations, like different apartments and stuff that he's lived in, right? At one point, there was a big debate about the color of the house. Was it a blue house or an aqua house? He says it was blue. She used the term aqua, so it can't be the same house. These are the arguments that his lawyer was making to the jury. Oh, it's not a pink house. It's a peach house. I'm like... To an eight-year-old child, depending on their extent of the, uh, the extent of their vocabulary... They might use the word pink and he's using the word peach. Does it really matter? That's in the same spectrum of the paint in the family, like the, the family of colors. You know, it was just so unbelievable. And I think the prosecution did the best she could with this case. But you also had the police who, once again, screwing things up. And when they get on the stand and they're being asked, well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? They're getting offense offended and they're like getting an attitude with the defense attorney. How do you think that comes across to the jury? RCIPS, you need to do some more training with these officers. Like, I don't know. And this is when I do my separate editorial piece. This is where my focus is going to be, that there has to be uh, better training of so-called detectives because they are lacking in that department in more ways than one. It really is very, very concerning. You know, at one point he said something, just showing his general level of ignorance. He said something like, 
oh, you know, he's um, he's not going to catch COVID because it's impossible for him to catch COVID. I'm like, you know, some people are so stupid. Um, and I feel like that ignorance transcends other things. So it transcends. It's, it's like him talking about this little child being a lesbian, right? Uh, you know, there are men in our community, in our society worldwide, but even in the Cayman Islands, who believe that they should have first access to their female daughters. This is a sickness. This is a sickness that we have in this community. These men will tell you, oh, she's she's mine. She's my daughter because you own her as a possession. So no man is going to be able to get to her first with me. This is a sickness. I'm telling you, this has happened in this community. And that is why when they see these little girls, even before they come of age, right? They're pre, pre-adolescents. They start to sexualize them and start to be attracted to them. It is, it is utterly disgusting and disturbing. But now I'm really concerned about this child because I'm like, what is DCFS going to do in this situation? Because he has been vindicated. I'm sitting there wondering, do the juries even think about this? Probably not. Is DCFS going to give this child back to her father that she has accused of raping her on like three or four occasions and other sexual acts? There was like seven charges. Knowing them, they probably will. They're already planning the return party for next week. I'm very, very disturbed, I got to tell you. And the man, um, like I told you all the other day, saw me in the hallway and had the audacity to mumble some words to me. Child, I exercise a lot of restraint every day, but that was a moment when I was just like, let me just remain very calm and pretend I did not hear you trying to say hi to me. You do not have the privilege. Uh, like you and I shouldn't even be sharing the same airspace as far as I'm concerned. This is how I despise these people, right? But for you to want to, to say hi to me, why? Why are, you, why are you speaking to me? Do I, do I look like I'm the type of person that wants a child molester saying hi to me? Do you not know who Sandy Hill is? Do you not know my position on these things? Do you not know that I think child molesters are the scum of the earth? And I would never willingly speak to one. I'm sure I've spoken to one and just didn't know that they were child molester. But I would never, had I known someone was like that, have any sort of a relationship with them, not even a casual conversation. Like seriously. I'm not that person who is going to excuse your disgusting behavior. I wouldn't have been that jury sitting there going, mm, peach house, pink house, blue house, aqua house. Yeah, that can't be the same house. She must be lying. This child is going to lie on her own father that he raped her on four separate occasions, that he was grooming her, making her touch his penis, that he was rubbing his penis up against her vagina. You know, all these things leading up to the abuse. And he says, oh, the child lies. Well, there are lies and then there are lies, right? All children will lie about stupid stuff. But to think that a child is going to lie with her only parent, lie on her only parent, her only caregiver that she probably loves at some level and is confused by all of this, I find that very, very highly improbable. 
nothing's impossible. But yes, El Rey, uh, one female, and she was old. Mm-mm-mm. I couldn't believe it. Catherine says the father sounds like he needs his balls cut off. I, I wish I wish that was possible. Um, unfortunately, Annette, um, because of the time frame that some of these things happened, and some of them actually happened during lockdown and stuff as well, right? Um, there was no report like at the time that it happened. So one of the interesting things that the pediatrician said on the stand is that with sexual um, cases, you know, I guess the woman's privates has the ability to heal relatively quickly. So if it isn't reported immediately, there could be a situation where there is no forensic evidence, but she never even looked for that because when they referred the young lady to do an examination of her, she wasn't aware that there was any allegations of any sort of sexual abuse. So she wasn't examining her for that. And she said, normally that would not be part of her routine examination. So um, unless, um, you know, it is then brought to her attention that, you know, this is what we need to be looking for. But unfortunately, because of the time, it probably, you know, would not have been evident. So he made it some excuse that she was upset about something during that particular time period. And that's why she fabricated this entire story of years of abuse. And Natasha says this sounds very similar to, uh, very familiar to a similar case where no one believed the child was being molested and the, until the child who they thought was suffering from a tummy ache was actually pregnant. Yes, imagine. I feel as a community, uh, we turn a blind eye to too many things and jurors in particular. Um, you know, I don't know. Unlike the American system, you know, in the U.S., after a jury has heard a case, sometimes you get to hear from the jury. Like, you know, why why did you decide to make this man walk? What was, what was the key piece of evidence that really, uh, for you, met this man? That, not that he is innocent, that the Crown didn't prove their case to the level that is criminally required, right? What was it? I would be very, very curious um, to see what they all say. Apparently, they didn't take very long to deliberate either which means that they had their minds made up a long time ago. This is what happens with jurors. When jurors don't take any time to deliberate, they already know going into it what they're going to. There was some point earlier in the trial when they made up their mind. And so when they went in there, oh, let's take a vote. Oh yeah, okay, we got a decision. 10 minutes later, they're out and not guilty. Um, Emma says, and again, I ask, isn't the Crown appealing this verdict? Um, probably not. This is BS. I hope this new government pays more attention to the laws a protection of our children. This is so heart sad and heartbreaking. This is a shit we need to be protesting. Yeah. Trust me. There's so many elements to it though. And this is really um, the unfortunate part because I feel like the police, um, first of all, we have a lot of Caribbean police officers who let me be very, very frank. And if this comes across as being a prejudicial statement, then it is what it is. We have a lot of Caribbean police officers who come from jurisdictions where this is the sort of thing that they just do not do a good job investigating, none at all. And so we, we bring them in, we give them positions, we give them jobs, and then we put them out in the field to investigate child molestation cases. But they themselves are coming from a cultural background where the child abuse and molestation of children is not a big deal. I want to show you guys a video that someone sent me. 
Um, let me see if I can find it. It is, it is disturbing. So I'm going to forewarn you about this. And it's about some little girls in Jamaica. And um, it occurred to me that a lot of times um, parents are so not aware of uh, what they're doing to their children or the fact that they're setting them up to be victims and they simply don't even, they don't see it. And I think at some level, a lot of parents in the Caribbean simply don't care. Let me see if I can find it actually. I'm trying to remember when the person sent it to me. Um, I have so many messages. Oh my God. Let me see if I can find this. And, and I do feel that unfortunately, a lot of our, um, a lot of our, you know, police, teachers and so on, they're being imported from countries where they just don't get it. Speaking of which, there is a school teacher who keeps doing all these TikTok videos. I want to talk about him while I'm on this as well. And um, they're highly inappropriate, right? Now, I don't know what it is about teachers. They feel like they want to be um, in the cool club, I guess. They're trying to be cool. They're trying to be popular. And I mean, I, I just don't, I just don't even understand it. Because that's not what you're there to do. You're there to teach your children. You're there to be an educator, right? Not to, I'm trying to see where this video is. Not to um, engage in children. Oh, here it is. I actually hadn't downloaded it on my phone yet. Hold on. Hold on, let me see here now. Um, yeah, I'm gonna show you guys this. Because um, not to engage with our children as though they're your friends or they're your companions. But it seems to me like that's exactly um, what a lot of these teachers want to do. Right? So we're hiring them to teach our children. And they're more concerned about being TikTok famous. So I'm going to show you guys. Um, it's here in a second. Really, really something else. I don't know. We got a lot of shaping up to do around the place. Trust and believe. So, have a look at this video and tell me in what world would any parent be recording this video of their children? And someone decides to put this out in social media because they think that it's cute. Have a look at this. This is this is where we're going wrong here, folks. Look at these kids. Uh, let me show you that again because you probably missed it.
So I'm told that this video um, is of some kids in Jamaica. And um, I can't even begin to tell you how disturbed I am by seeing that video. There's so much wrong with that. The, the oldest one who looks like she already has breasts could be maybe 10 or 11 years old. I don't even know if she was that old because some kids, because of hormones, are developing extremely early. But what adult would take that video of children emulating some sexual activity? Children. The other little one looks like she's probably six or seven years old. Think that that's cute or that's funny or whatever and actually put that on TikTok for the world to see. There are some communities who see nothing wrong with that. They're like, oh, that's amusing, that's charming, that's funny. And what I'm saying to you guys is we import people, including this father, from countries like that and from communities like that. Now, Cayman has its own offenders, homegrown offenders. So I don't want y'all to get it twisted. I don't want y'all to run out and say, oh, Sandy's hating the expats this morning. I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. We have historically had child molesters in this community. Some of them are very, very famous. Some multi-generational child molesters that come from families that it's like one generation after the next. The father getting the children pregnant. So he's the grandfather and the father of his own grandchildren, kind of foolishness. But there are countries, and this is a fact, such as Jamaica, that has one of the highest incidents of child abuse in the world. Children are sexualized from a very young age. They're kidnapped on a regular basis. They're raped. They're abused. I mean, it is prolific. One of the worst in the world. That's not a question. That is a statement of fact. Some years ago, I mean, it's been a while now, I shared a story that I think was in the Gleaner or the Jamaican Observer. And it was a medical professional who came forward, a doctor, and said, listen, I'm sick and tired of the abuse that I'm seeing of children in Jamaica. And we need to highlight this. My mom, mm -mm -mm. I read that article and I was shocked. Babies being admitted to the ER on a regular basis with all sorts of issues, being seriously sexually assaulted. I mean, day-old babies being raped by people in their homes, right? Having, showing up with all sorts of sexually transmitted diseases at two-month-old. Some of them, sexually abused to the point where they can't even survive the abuse. They end up dying. And this physician was very, very brutal um, in her commentary because she said, listen, for far too long, we've been sugarcoating this. And apparently people don't seem to know what is really going on. And she felt like it was time that the public became aware. Of the atrocities that children in particular who seem to have no voice in a lot of our communities are facing. We have some amazing cases right here that have happened. 
right? That should make us ashamed. And the system continues to fail our children. I'm just having a quick look on my Facebook profile because way before CMR started, I have been advocating for victims, child support, child survivors. And I see one here from 2015. This was apparently Kiman 27 had done a piece on this. Six-year-old babies. So it says alleged assault victims as young as six years old. And this was a review again. Unfortunately, Kiman 27 is no longer around. So, you know, their domain is up for grabs, by the way. Um, so the story is completely gone from their website. But this was primary school classroom aid where he was molesting children just six years old. And he left the jurisdiction. This is one of her own, by the way, Kay Mannion, and he left the jurisdiction. And I remember um, he'd been charged. Did he ever come back? I don't even know if he ever returned or if we tried to bring him back. But when he left, he claimed, you know, oh, he was going to be going off to school. And I remember this case only because his aunts and, and uncles and politically connected and one's a lawyer and this and that. And, you know, they started, oh, they're all upset with me because I'm talking about their nephew. Well, you know what? When your nephew has molested a six-year-old, I need to be talking about him. And I don't really care. You know, I, I don't, I want to make it very, very clear. I don't care what people think of me because I speak out on this issue. So you don't have to like it and you don't have to like me. I just don't care. Victims need a voice. And there is way too much of this happening. Here's another one from back in uh, 2016. Oh yeah, let me, let me play this video for you guys. Cause this is one of the videos that was coming to my mind earlier. But there's an article. I'm, I'm gonna see if I can find the article. It's been a it's been a while. So, oh my God, it's probably been 10 years that I read that initial article. So I may not be able to find it, but I'm gonna do my best to find it because this is one of the reasons why we need to have um, protection for children. So this video has been removed now because a lot of these news sites are not even archiving stuff. But this the post. This is a post back in April that I made on April the twentieth of two thousand and sixteen. I said Jamaica has one of the highest rates of sex abuse, child sex abuse, in the world. But the subject is really spoken of now. Activists are trying to break the silence. And there was an article called Jamaica's Silent Children. I'm gonna see if I can. I think there was another source where I can try to download the video from. Right? We've had people like uh, the Websters, more than one of them convicted in a court of law. And I remember this one back in 2017, 2016, 2017, where many of you in this community, and you will know who you are, 
We're asking questions. Well, why was she, why was this young girl recording this guy? I was like, wow, here's the thing, right? If she didn't record the situation with Webster, none of y'all would have believed it. You would not have taken her word. He would have been another case like this. This poor little girl, I guess, needed to record the rapes in order for the jury to be believe her. He would have been another case where it's the child's word against his and he walks off. Oh, the child is a liar. So at the time, I thought, well, thank God she recorded it. You guys remember, um, what's his name? Arrington Webster? I said, thank God this child decided to record this disgusting man. Because if she didn't, none of you would have believed it, that this retired fire man, once political candidate, could be capable of doing something like this. But that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what he did. And where was it going to stop, right? She she caught the video of him pleasuring himself. And I don't know if you guys remember the video because it, it made the rounds, but one of the unbelievable things that I saw in that video was how he was begging her and grooming her and encouraging her to go even further. Oh, I want you to touch me. I want you to do that. And I was like, thank God the child was like, no. She, she had more restraint than some of y'all as adults do. And yet the public discourse at the time was about how, oh, no, this should be a situation where we questioned her and her motives. Well, why was she doing that? Why was she recording? She too fast, you know, I'm like, huh? What is wrong with you people? Unbelievable. I'm having a look here. I'm going to share my screen, uh, my Facebook screen, but I'm just, I'm just trying to find that original article because I feel like it was so disturbing to me that it would have definitely have been something that I would have shared with other people, just trying to educate people, right? But I'm, I'm not quite finding it. But I mean, look at me and Carolina on this forum back in 2017. Again, talking about trying to stamp out child abuse. Right? Child lied about abuser. So the children are always the ones who are relegated as liars. Well, we must have some of the worst children in the world because apparently all they want to do is go around lying and child abusers. So a child's own mother is saying in this case that the child lied on her boyfriend, former boyfriend at that. It's just unbelievable. Here's another one. Convicted rapist. Only gets four years. Uh, this was one, 2017. 
an election year. We're asking why, why, why is this not a discourse in the political arena? They can talk about everything else under the sun. But they're not talking about that. They don't want to touch this topic, not at all. And they do so at the detriment of our own children. So let me share this with you. I'm going to I'm going to continue to try to find that article because I think the details of that um, article is extremely important, folks. There he is. What was his name? Arrington Webster. He's only one of several Websters. Oh, he he wants to remain anonymous. <laughs> you can imagine. Four counts of indecent assault, and he wants to have it have his day in court. Oh, he wants to be anonymous. He wants to now hide. Wow. It's just unbelievable the things that are happening here in this community. Look at this. The poor horses are not even safe. This, I don't know if you guys remember this. Back in 2016, a poor horse was had to be put down because it was sexually assaulted. The athletics coach. So many examples. But have a look at this, folks. I just stopped fighting. Not because I didn't want this. This was my first sexual experience. So this is how I love I remember, I remember it clearly. I remember this person just treating me as if I was garbage, like I was an animal. And he had his time. He had the time of his life. I was just five, six years old when it happened, but I remember everything. I remember the smell of his I remember one time I was sleeping, and I can remember something being forced up inside of me. I mean, just to know somebody can do that to a child. What wrong with them? Why them want to hurt a child? Why? It's okay. You gotta be careful because you don't want to start a conflict between you and them. And, and the man and the parents trying to be so it end up in a war. Somebody probably die, run away, dead. still do it the old-fashioned way where the child goes into the witness box and the prisoner is in the dock in the same courtroom and the child has to give that testimony and it's not just the responsibility of government break the silence break the silence break the silence it's a good PR move how do I break the silence what are the resources that are there after I've broken the silence what happens to a predator after I've broken the silence how am I protected from retribution Folks, um, that's just a very short video, but it is it is prolific in a lot of places in the region. And it's our responsibility to try to educate ourselves and to try to stamp this out. It is a scourge on us as a community, I think, when someone could be accused of such 
an egregious thing, incest, raping your daughter three, four times, other types of sexual assault against her, seven charges, and he wants that a free man because the evidence, the case just wasn't where it needed to be to convict him. Now, it is, it is difficult. These are some of the most difficult types of um, cases to prove. But I feel like a lot of people have failed this child. Now the courts have failed her. The jurors, not the courts, but the jurors have failed her. And so I can't help but wonder what happens now? Like, where, where does she go from here? You know, at one point they asked him, well, you know, how do you feel about your daughter? And he's like, well, you know, she lied on me. You know, this is a very serious thing. I'm here in court. But he denied everything, of course. He never did it. Um, he's a type of parent who... It's like, you know how Carolina and I were talking about earlier, giving your children a voice if they say no? It struck me during different things that he said about when he was talking about his relationship with his daughter and when he tells her something. It's like, this is not a man who takes no from a child. And even that aspect of his parenting concerned me. Right? You give somebody a child and you don't offer them any parenting courses. He seems very rough in his approach to parenting. He's very ignorant in his approach to parenting. You know, as parents, we have to be willing to accept that the way things have been done for umpteenth years is not the way, is not necessarily the right way and not the way that we should continue to do things. Even parents who believe in beating their children. Hey, 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 hey. Don't talk to K-Mandans about that, Naina. Yeah, I got beat my child. I got whoop her ass. Of course. I used to subscribe to that way of thinking until I really started to educate myself. And I started to see what the experts were saying about it. And I have reevaluated why I believed that. We, we just believe it because our parents believed it and their parents believed it and their parents before them believed it. And we are taught that, well, it never, it never killed you, did it? But we're damaging children in ways that we don't even recognize. But we don't care. Because that's the only way we know how to control children. Now, let me understand the logic behind this, right? If the only way you can control your child is by physical force, so you can't reason with them. You can't find other means of disciplining them. You have to get physical with them. How does that help your child understand in life how conflict is resolved? So they're a teenager. They're a young adult. Somebody doesn't like what they have to say. Somebody doesn't agree with them. What's, what's the alternative? Well, when, when I don't do what my mommy wants me to do or my dad wants me to do, they're going to beat my ass. So if I'm having a conversation with you or you and I have an agreement and you don't do what I want, I'm going to beat your ass too. This is, this is the logic of it. Let's break it down to the least common denominator. That's the message. That's why we have such a violent, despite the fact that all y'all got an ass whooping, all y'all got beat, it clearly hasn't helped very much, has it? Because we have 
a prison that's full, brimming, busting out at the seams. So much dysfunctionality in our society, in our community, in our homes. 95 plus percent of the people up at Northward who are there, rapists, serial killers, they've murdered more than one person, all this kind of stuff. They got some of the most iconic assins in their life. How did it help? <laughs> Honestly. And the underlying message that you sent your child, just like I was saying to Carolina, we're having this discussion this morning, is when you force your child, hug somebody even if you don't want to. It's the same end message that you have no control over your body. So I can beat you. I have the right to beat you because I own you. You're mine. You see how in a young child's mind, even at the age of eight and nine years old, when a father starts to do certain things to her or him, it's like, okay, but they're my parent. They can do things to me. They can beat me. They can hurt me. Because when they give me an assing, I cry and that hurts. You know what he allegedly, this is what the victim said in this case. You know what he told the victim when he was raping her? This is a new experience. She was crying and he said, oh, this is a new experience. Stop your crying. How many of you have ever been beaten by your parents? And they tell you, you must stop crying. What are you crying for? I give you something to cry for. So when he's raping her and she's crying and he says, this is a new experience. Stop your crying. Gee, I've heard that message before. Stop your crying. What are you crying for? You're setting your children up. You're supposed to be smart enough to be able to discipline your children without having to beat them. I am so thankful in a lot of different ways that I did not have kids in my 20s or even 30s. I got to be honest with you. Because I subscribed because I got my ass whooped too. And I subscribed to that way of thinking for far too long into my adulthood. Thankfully, by the time I had my daughter, I had readjusted my way of thinking because the evidence just doesn't support it. And I'm an evidence-based kind of person. I'm like, hmm, the experts have studied this subject in depth. We all have these anecdotal stories. Well, yeah, look at me, I turned out okay. Really, and you're okay, that's your assessment <laughs> that you're okay but yet you suffer from depression, anxiety, mental health issues, you know, all sorts of foolishness, relationship issues, but you think you're okay. You're functional because you're not in jail. Everybody thinks that the litmus test for being okay in life is, oh, I'm not in jail. I haven't murdered anybody yet. Mental health is a serious thing. And a lot of it starts from the environments that we grew up in and the parents and families that unfortunately we had no choice but to be exposed to. That's where the vast majority of your issues come from, folks. And yet, every Sunday, y'all going to church, holding hands, like good little Christians, and we're okay with it. We're okay with all the foolishness that goes on in our families. Because that's all you know. That's all you've been taught, really. You haven't been taught anything else. You haven't been taught any other creative ways of parenting. I'm going to beg each and every one of you to reevaluate a lot of your beliefs. Why do I think this way about this? And if you thought about it for a second, the only thing you can say is that's how I was raised. I believe in the church. I believe in God. I believe in this. I believe in that. 
politically I believe this because that's what my grandma told me to believe. That's why I've supported politicians. I should have never gotten my support. Politicians that have an egregious record against women and their families and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But my granny, tell me who to vote for. And I grew up my entire life supporting that person. Of course you did. Because at some point, you've got to start thinking for yourself. The ugly truth says in Jamaica, sex is um, the driver of the culture. They're hypersexualized. Well, they're not the only ones because, like I said, we seem to uh, import some of the worst behavior in this community as well. I don't subscribe to children being out in the streets, parading up and down and these so-called carnivals half naked and gyrating and that sort of thing. Cause it ain't, it's not cute behavior and you are sexualizing your children, whether you recognize it or not. So it might not be as bad as that, that video that we just saw where they're simulating oral sex on each other, two little girls. But what do your children have to, why, why are they out there gyrating on each other and half naked in a parade? And when I've spoken out about this before, boy, y'all have thrown some licks at me. Oh, you too this and you too that and too judgmental and too old fashioned and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look at what you're normalizing, right? Our music, my God. Some of y'all love soca and calypso and reggae and this and that. And when you listen to the words about Sandra, give me your julie mango, what the heck is that all about? Now, those, those soca lovers, they'd be like, oh, yeah, but new music is vulgar. It was all vulgar if you really thought about it. They just got really creative with how they were talking about sex. And all the winding up and all this kind of stuff. The vulgarity of it has gone on for far too long. Debbie says, Sandy, speak the truth. Aliano says, Thanos, snap your fingers. Are we resetting the planet? We're trying to. TikTok needs to be banned. Gabby says in the Philippines, listen, everybody has these issues in their communities. Just some places are far, far worse than others. Virtuous telling some truth here this morning. She said, I even had a certain police would uh, see me, force me in the car and force me to do sexual acts. I'm so glad I can speak about it now, even though it still hurts because I'm no longer a victim, I'm victorious. Wow. Police. And that's not the first time that I've heard this. It's not the first time that I've heard of police officers engaging in this type of behavior. And not only, not only engaging in this type of behavior, but you guys remember that I have been convicted and of a singular offense in my entire life, of speaking the truth in this community about someone, someone who has a prolific history. So many messages over the years that I've received. That person was a member of the RCIPS. You guys will have to remember this. Of a very, very famous case with an English officer and others who were alleged to be having sexual intercourse with inmates, women in lockup. And someone was acting as a lookout man. So they would take people into custody, whether they were drug addicts or other people, people who nobody would believe, right? 
once again, they're lying. It's always the victim that's lying. It's never the perpetrator. And you know how that case eventually came to light? Only God knows how many victims there were and how many victims were raped in police custody right here in the Cayman Islands. Do you know how that came to case, how that case came to light? One of the inmates became pregnant, huh? While she was in custody, and they started to do the math. Hmm. She's now three months pregnant, but we've had her for four months or whatever. The dates just didn't add up. And then there was this big internal investigation launched. To the best of my knowledge, no one, no one, no one was ever held to account. This one ran off to another jurisdiction. The next one left the force. Now, revisionary history all these years later, he can claim that, oh, he resigned and the police paid him to leave. There's a lot of foolishness that goes on in this country that really needs to stop and it needs to be exposed. You know, there's so much I feel like that you potentially expose your children to. I had a girlfriend of mine who told me once that her mom stopped to give somebody a ride. Here she is doing somebody else a favor. And your child is in the back seat with this person. We were talking with Caroline earlier. Your children are getting molested in plain sight and you don't even know it. So this person gets in the car. First of all, I'm not allowing any stranger to sit in the back seat of a car with my daughter. Very few people have ever have that luxury. And this man is back there talking to the mother, all friendly. Oh, you know, thanks for the ride. How you doing, Miss So-and-so and blah, blah, blah and is feeling up the little girl in the back seat. Now, what does a child do? What what does a child do in a situation like that? The the child is probably confused and in a state of shock, like, what is this? But because it's being done almost in plain sight, at some point the child's probably thinking, maybe there's nothing wrong with this? Like, I don't know. Like who gets in your car with your mommy driving and then touches you sexually. And some kids don't know the difference between good touch and bad touch. So he's rubbing your leg. He's rubbing your little private area. He's rubbing your breast. You're like, depending on your age, you might not even know that this is wrong. You're like, what, what is this? And if he's doing it in the open with your mom literally less than a foot away, surely this can't be anything that's wrong, right? Because he wouldn't do it if that was the case. This is the kind of stuff that I'm telling you all victims have shared with me over the years. Thank you, um, Miss Brenda, speaking about that young lady with the Webster case. I don't even know, but you know, it's sad that we put the burden on children to actually prove their cases, right? Oh, you have to record it. You have to, you know, catch the person talking about it. I heard of another case in Cayman Brack. There's some guy over there who everybody apparently knows. It's an open thing, not a big secret. Everybody knows that the man's a child molester because he's gone through half the Brack molesting people's children. 
And yet he's never been arrested. I hear some good position in the black, well-respected church member, no doubt. The last time he went after a little boy, the police tried to set up, this is what I've been told, some kind of sting operation. And, oh, it's the child's responsibility to catch him. You start asking him about, remember that one time you touched me? But apparently that didn't work out too well for the police. Mm-mm-mm. Unbelievable. Right? Let me share another case I heard recently. I can't get any details on this, but this is the allegation. Someone reached out on Tuesday, actually last week, the 25th. And they said that there's a certain teacher, there's a couple from Jamaica and Kim and Brack. The husband is accused of sexual harassment of high school girls at Lehman Scott. They put him at the education center and uh, one of the girls was sent to Cayman. This is, this is a solution when you have a complaint. This is like the Catholic church. You just move them around, right? And I said, well, get me some more information. Who, you know, I need something. I need a parent to come forward. I need something. There person saying this is being covered up. Nothing is being done. They're accusing at least one black representative of knowing something about it. And seeking to cover it up because it makes them all look bad. I'm like, really? This is where we still are, Carolina, thank you. She says the way that we got into child protection was actually through HIV and AIDS prevention Child sexual abuse is so prevalent in our region that it is one of the social and cultural factors driving the HIV pandemic epidemic in the Caribbean. You can imagine that. Virtuous says, people wonder why I'm so loud and aggressive. It's because being young and soft-hearted, I didn't speak up. And now I'm loud and trying to defend myself. And they talk about how you so straightforward and outspoken. This is it. You're always the problem. The victim's always the problem. Um, interestingly enough, with this case now that was in court, they brought a woman on the stand and she um, spent some time with the child in the caregiver capacity. And they said, you know, have you noticed any differences with the child? Well, I did notice that, you know, now that she's come back to my care, now that she's made these allegations, she's a lot more like quieter and reserved and she doesn't really share much. She doesn't really open up, but she apparently was never really that type of a child anyway. So it would have been difficult for her to probably even make these allegations against her own father to begin with, just because of the type of personality that she had. But now she's even more introverted. DCFS, I have a lot of questions. And definitely one of my questions is, are you giving this child any kind of mental health support? I just want to know. You see, DC, they're never going to talk about this case. Oh, it's for the courts. Now that he's been vindicated, nobody's going to talk about it. It's just going to go away. And this shouldn't be going away, folks. This is the kind of thing that we as a community should demand a response to. How do you place a child in a home where the 
single caregiver is a male and you offer no ongoing support for either him as the parent or her as a minor child. No random checks, no stop-ins. No, you know, we need to just speak with the child, make sure she's doing okay. Giving her access to therapy. Because obviously, raising a child as a single parent is not a not an easy situation, but especially for fathers. And all I can say about the situation is there was a reason, a very good reason, why the mother has never had any contact with her. This wasn't a situation where they were married in a happy family and then got a divorce. It's not that kind of situation at all. And in fact, he didn't come into the child's life until some years later. He was not even in the jurisdiction. No support. DCFS, how can you, I mean, I know you guys are overworked and you got a caseload, but how do cases like this fall through the cracks? I really have some answers. Some questions, my apologies. So Dorothy says, I have a 41-year-old and a 30-year-old and I've never lifted my hand to them. Of course, they were punished. I believe that hitting someone just causes anger and wants them to hit back. Every new parent should have to go through parenting classes nowadays. Al Ray says that he, he got it. He got the belt. And so he applied it. That's why most of you do it. I am willing to, to bet if you never got beaten in your life, you're not the type of parent who's going to beat your child. You only do it because it was done to you. And you have this ingrained message in your head that it worked. And that's why you turned out to be so great, which a lot of us are not all that great. That's what we tell ourselves to justify this is confirmation bias, right? So we believe this thing about don't spoil the child and don't spare the rod and spoil the child. When in fact, it is not, the Bible has never said that. Y'all need to go back to your Bible. And I want you to tell me which shepherd have you ever seen beating the sheep? It doesn't even make any sense. Even if you accept that the Bible can't always be a literal translation because it wasn't written in English, right? And some people had to translate it and they might have interjected all sorts of things. So let's accept that it's not a literal translation. Let's think about the analogy that's being used. Have you ever seen a shepherd beat a sheep yet with the rod? No. In fact, it's the opposite. The rod of correction is a very gentle process. Folks, the rod seeks to guide you in the most gentle of ways. You just touch and the sheep start to go in a different direction. No one is beating the sheep. You can gently guide your children to do the right thing. You don't have to be yelling and screaming at them and all this kind of stuff. All you do is create damaged children that grew up in a world where they think yelling and screaming and fighting and carrying on is the norm. Every time I have a moment where I feel like I even want to like raise my voice and we all have those moments as parents, I try to just sit back and go, what, okay, what, what good is that going to do right now? The child's upset. The child's having a moment. The child's crying and carrying on. And you think the solution is to start yelling at the top of your voice because Somehow that de-escalates. Remember I was telling you about yesterday about the crazy woman coming at me? 
When somebody's yelling and screaming at you, what do you do? Think about this logically. When someone is yelling and screaming at you, you return that behavior in kind. This is a technique actually called mirroring, right? You should never mirror bad behavior, but as parents, we do it all the time. So our children who don't have the ability to regulate themselves. Now imagine you're 25, 30 years old. You've had 25, 30 years of experience in life. You have a five-year-old child who is just starting out in life. That child don't have no control, no this, no that. You need to teach it to them. But what do we do instead? We teach them all the wrong things, yelling and the screaming. And so the child starts to get upset about something. They're going to scream. That's how they're going to express themselves. They're going to cry. They're going to act out. And in turn, you think the appropriate thing to do is to yell and scream at the child and then beat them or curse at them or whatever. I'm like, how does that make any sense? And it doesn't de-escalate the situation at all. Have you ever seen a child having a tantrum and you just like ignore the child? Even if you're sitting there looking at the child, you don't respond. And after a while, the child's like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Why aren't you responding to me? Sometimes they'll just walk up to you and hug you because really and truly that's all they needed to begin with. They were just having a moment. They didn't know how, they didn't know how to handle it. Have you ever hugged a child out of a tantrum? Try it. We need new techniques of coping with our lives, of raising our children. And it's like, I don't know. A lot of us just are not getting it. Carolina, add to your list parenting classes while you're at it, because we need some of that too. So Al Ray says, I don't subscribe that discipline with a belt will make you a sex offender pedophile. These people would have probably been offenders, even if they weren't disciplined. But here's the thing. I'm not saying that either. And that's not what the evidence says. The evidence says there's an element of psychological damage that occurs. But I'm willing to bet you that this man who's sitting there, who I believe molested his daughter, who raped his daughter, I believe that he was beaten. It doesn't help. It's not going to prevent them from being those things. I don't know what his issues are. I mean, I don't really care to delve into him personally. But a lot of people who become perpetrators, they themselves were victims. That is a fact. So we do have to address the issue of prevention, which is better than cure of child sexual abuse. But we also need to go a step further and make sure that people who have been victimized get the help that they need. And that's where my, my biggest, 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 biggest concern about this particular case is now what happens to the child? Is she going to be thrown back into the home with this man? Is she not going to get any counseling and support? Regardless of the fact that the jury did not believe the prosecution's case. Or, I mean, like I said, nobody talks to jurors, so we don't know what they believed. Maybe they believed it, but they felt it was not to the standard beyond a reasonable doubt that the prosecution has to prove. And so now this child is returned to situation with no coping mechanisms, no professional assistance, no nothing. How can this be right? I really hope that that isn't gonna be the case, but from what I've seen 
from the system and how the system works. I don't know. I don't have any faith that it's going to do right by this child. So El Rey shares Proverbs with us. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline yet. Yes. But it doesn't say that discipline is physical. It doesn't say the rod of correction is physical. And if we use the analogy of the shepherd and the rod, in fact, that proves that it isn't physical contact at all. You have to discipline your children. You have to set boundaries and limitations, all this other stuff. Of course you have to do those things. Rules are good for children. Children like a structured background, a structured environment. My apologies. You know, they need to be having dinner time, sitting at the table. No, we put down our phones. We're going to have a proper family time. You have to get up in the morning and brush your teeth. These are things that we have to do that are good for our health, good for our well-being. You need a little bit of physical exercise in life. You need to eat your vegetables. All of those things create an environment that is discipline-based, that is structured. The children that are in turmoil are the ones who have no structure in their lives. And you see how that transcends into their adulthood. Someone was saying to me recently, there's a, a another character out there who likes to get in, on live streams and stuff. And someone was saying to me, Sandy, you know, the issues that this man has, which are a lot and long and substantiated, come from the home, come from the home environment without a doubt. He said, anybody who lived in the neighborhood could hear the constant screaming and yelling and sound like everybody was beating everybody up. It was a dysfunctional home. That made, that made my heart break really. Cause now we look at the adult and we say, this person's a narcissist. They're an a-hole. They're this, they're that. And those things are all true, but where does it stem from? It stems from a dysfunctional family. And a lot of us can relate to that. You don't think I can relate to dysfunctional families? Of course I can. Some are more dysfunctional than others. And quite frankly, some of us get a second chance in life. We get a reprieve from being sentenced to that type of dysfunctionality your entire life. So we might get a way out. In my case, I got a way out at the age of nine. I was able to leave this dysfunctional environment here in Cayman and go somewhere else where there was more structure. There was some level of dysfunctionality there too, but it was different. And by and large, it was less dysfunctional than what I was having to deal with here. But not everybody gets that opportunity, you see. But as adults, we have to recognize that we are broken, we are struggling, we have mental health issues, depression, bipolar, whatever, and we need to get help for those things. It's when you don't do anything about it. It's when you sit here and you try to pretend <laughs> that you're this perfect specimen, <sighs> right? When you ignore all the warning signs, you become a parent and you don't do anything to fix your own problems and you don't see how that will just have a roll on effect 
onto the next generation and the generation after that and so on. I have no qualms about telling people that I don't feel like I had good parental examples in a lot of different ways. And maybe I have lived a large portion of my life trying to be the opposite of what I know was a completely dysfunctional situation. Now I've dealt with it in a bit of a different way. I don't engage with certain people in my life at all. I just cut people off. And maybe that's an unfortunate thing because there are relationships that I haven't had because of that. But you know what? For me, I would rather not have a relationship than to introduce additional dysfunctionality into my life. That's that's my justification for not engaging with certain people. And I don't care who they are. I don't care if it's family. I've had friends, friends that I have cut off because what they were bringing into my life was more dysfunctionality, more stress, than any benefit. And at some point, you got to evaluate your relationships at all levels, family and so on. And just because you were born into family doesn't mean that I have to have a relationship with you. And this is a hard pill to swallow. But you have to learn how to set limitations and how to cut people off if you need to. Some people, you can hold them at arm's length and have a little bit of a relationship with them. And other people, you can have no relationship at all. Recently, I was in talks with a young lady who, you know, her husband's family is batshit crazy. (laughs) And she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle these people. There's a lot of mind games being played here. And I haven't really seen anything like this before. What do I do? And I said, here's what you do. You remove yourself from the situation. Your mother, you have a young child with this man. You've decided to try to make a life with this man, but you didn't make a life with the family. You don't have to do that. Right? You don't have to make a life with the in-laws if you don't want to. And that's entirely up to you. Let me leave you with today's Daily Om, which I'm just looking up here, and it seems like it's quite appropriate. The title, it's titled, Sometimes a Loss Can Be a Gain. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I mean, really, I just literally type, typed it in, and this is what it says for the day. I haven't read it yet, but it says, while it is always important to honor what we've lost, sometimes a loss can also represent a chance for a new beginning. When we lose something that we cherish, the sense of emptiness that we are left behind with can be overwhelming. A space that can be filled, whether in our lives or our hearts, is now a void. And the feelings of pain, loss, and separation can sometimes be difficult to bear. While it is always important to honor what we've lost, sometimes a loss can also represent a chance for a new beginning. When we are ready, the void left by a relationship, a job, or a dream can be viewed as open space that can be filled with something new. New experiences, new knowledge, new job opportunities, new dreams, new people, and new ways to grow. 
There are many ways to weave the threads of loss into a blessing. If you've lost a job or ended a relationship, your first thoughts might revolve around filling the void with a similar job or the same kind of relationship. Try not to rush into anything just to fill up the emptiness. The loss of a job can free you up to explore new opportunities, especially if you've outgrown the old one. Likewise, the loss of a relationship can give you a chance to rediscover your own interests, <coughs> sorry, explore new passions and meet different people. If seeking the good in what seems like a bad situation makes you feel uncomfortable, then try to remember that you're not devaluing what you've lost or placing it wholeheartedly. You are surrendering to the fact that in life, sometimes we sometimes have to let go and allow for what is new to enter the open spaces created by our losses. In doing so, you're honoring what was left, what has left you and welcoming the new into your life with open space an open mind and an open heart. Very, very appropriate folks. Anyway, it is Friday. I wish um, all of you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Marshall. Uh, he says it'd be sad to see that child going back into the same ho home with that predator. Um, it seems like there is no relationship with the mother at all or the family members, which is very, very sad. Uh, Ms. Brenda says fathers are supposed to be protectors of their children, especially their daughters. Our fathers, uh, our father was very aware of the dangers out there and he always talked to us about these things. He even told his friends um, not to kiss us or have us sit on their laps. They could only say hello to us. We as parents need to always have these conversations with our children. Thank you. Unfortunately not, Miss um, Sue, the child seems to be left with this predator for all these years. Lorraine says what you're now reading is very good advice. Thank you so much. All right, folks, um, that's it. We went a little bit into overtime. Uh, forgive me for that. I do wish that you guys have um, a wonderful day and a safe weekend. Uh, please be safe out there on the roadways. I feel like there's always, you know, craziness happening on the roadways. Um, take your time. There's no, where are you rushing to on this island? Only God knows. Um, so I do hope that you guys have a fabulous weekend and, you know, we will continue the conversations. It's, this is not one thing you have a conversation once and then you forget about it. We have to advocate continually on behalf of our children. And every single time a case like, come, like this comes up in court, I can assure you that it forces me to really think about some, some hard issues. All right, folks, have a good weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at caymanmarlroad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings.